0: Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by
1: donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. Well, good morning,
0: good morning, good morning, Inspire Family. <laughs> It is so good to see you here this morning. I don't know how your morning went, but I can tell you a little bit about how mine was. <laughs> uh, you know you have those Sundays where you just like, I'm just glad I made it, you know, type of, type of a Sunday. And so, you know like uh, husbands, when you go and you like j- just barely sit down on the couch, you're tired, you're ready to relax. And, and then for me, like that's exactly what was happening. And Becca came in and she goes, hey babe, were you thinking about going to the store? Now, let me just tell you something that is not a question. She disguises it as a question. It's not even a suggestion. What that means is you're going to the store. <laughs> And so then on top of that, you know, you get up and you get ready you want to find the keys. And I can't find the keys. Cannot find the keys. And my key searching capacity is about 15 seconds. That's about as long as I can last. And then I get the whole house involved. I call in all the troops and I'm like, everybody find the keys. And so, you know, I don't know how you guys do it, but how we do it is in an orderly fashion, we tear up the house. And so, you know, we're throwing off couch cushions and dumping over chairs. And you know what I'm saying? And then uh, the keys were in my pocket. So, <laughs> But we made it. Praise Jesus. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> We are, this is the last installment of this series called The Last Adam, and uh, I just wanted to kind of briefly go through this series and maybe remind you of the previous installments, and if you have missed one or two or three, depending, right, <laughs> uh, or, or if this is your first time here, uh, please visit YouTube or our podcast and you can catch up. But, but just to kind of let you know, we've been looking at uh, the first Adam and the last Adam, the first Adam and Jesus Christ, who is also called the last Adam. And and in this series, we kind of looked at twos. And so the first one, if you remember, was about two men and all of redemptive history can be found in these two men, Adam and Jesus. And you're either in one or the other. And basically what we wanted to show you is where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded, Then we had a message called Two Temptations, where both were tempted, but where Adam's disobedience led to condemnation and death, Christ's obedience led to justification and life. Then we talked about two coverings where everyone feels the need to cover their sin, right? Cover their unrighteousness. And the question is, are we covering with ourselves in our own efforts like Adam did or in the righteousness of Christ? Then we talked about two types of rest and the real rest we need, Adam forfeited, but Christ secured. And so do you find yourself Searching for a surface level of rest that will only bring more internal work? Or are you resting in the work that Christ did? And then two marriages. And in human history, there are these two bookends where history started with a marriage and it will end with a marriage. The first bridegroom gave up paradise and blamed his wife. Right? He blamed his bride. The last bridegroom secured paradise by laying his life down for his bride. And then last week, Pastor Phil did an incredible job at talking about two bodies. At creation, Adam's body was made perishable and weak. At the resurrection, Christ's body was made imperishable and glorious, which guarantees that those who are in Christ will also receive a glorified and resurrected body. And so, like I said, last week, Pastor Phil showed how in Christ, we have all received these resurrected, we will receive these resurrected physical bodies. But the question is, well, where will those bodies live? Yeah, we, we, we will receive these glorified bodies, but for where? But for Where? And so what we're looking at today in this final installment are two creations, two creations. We're actually going to be looking in Revelation, but before we get there, just so you know, John is given this revelation, and so he writes the book of Revelation. One revelation, not revelations, not plural, one long revelation, right? And an angel is showing him around, and he's hearing from Christ and from God and so on and so forth. And so here we get to Revelation chapter 22 and, and he's seeing the future. And this is what he sees starting in Revelation 22 says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month. And then the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Ever and ever. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I pray that you will be the one distributing it. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will be the one illuminating it. And that, Heavenly Father, that we will be able to consume what you have prepared for us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so the Bible is actually a library, really is what it is. It's a library, and it's a library of collection, of this sort of collection of stunning pieces of literature because even though these pieces of literature were written by different authors and uh, in different spaces and, and in different times, uh, they all come together and tell one giant story. It tells an epic story of God and his creation of blessing and temptation and sin and exile and salvation. And we have been spending now quite some time wanting you to know the story and tell the story. And for those of us reading this story today, we have the advance, uh, advantage of knowing the entire story was leading to Jesus. Right. All in all, it's an epic library telling one story, which begs the question, how does the story end? How does it end? Today, I want to talk with you about the old creation then, a better creation not yet, and a new creation now. An old creation then, a better creation not yet, and a new creation now. Point number one, the old creation then. Now, when reading the passage that we just read, maybe some of you felt like you had a little bit of deja vu, and don't worry, it just wasn't you, because when you read this passage, it should have reminded you of another place that we've read about, right? The the imagery here is meant to have us connect the dots and say, wait a second, wait a second. This future paradise sounds a lot like An old paradise. You guys notice that? And John was a master of the Hebrew scriptures. And in in this vision of the new creation is sort of a kaleidoscope of images drawn from biblical poets and prophets. And his goal was really to create sort of a collage of Old Testament metaphors that forces us to reckon uh, with the meaning of what these images are. And so, therefore, what happens is you begin to see parallels, and you begin to see similarities, and now all of a sudden the first book in this library called the Bible it begins to match this last book in this library called the Bible. There's parallels between Genesis and Revelation. In fact, if you look at the parallels, we're going to go through them now, just so that way you can see. Now, listen, I'm going to do a little bit of teaching this morning. I hope you're okay with that, um, and uh, so for those of you who are tired of class, I'm sorry, but uh, pay attention. (laughs) Elbow your neighbor, get some more coffee, whatever you gotta do. But the fact is, is that there are some parallels between future paradise in Revelation and past paradise in Genesis, right? So let's look at the first one. First one is this, you'll see rule and reign. Rule and reign. In both, humans are ruling and reigning. In both, you see rivers, don't you? There's rivers in both. There's food in both, food and fruit. There is the tree of life in both, which is interesting. Both have the tree of life. And so you begin to see that there are similarities between this garden in Genesis and what appears to be another garden type in Revelation. There's one more, it's not on the screen, but it's interesting because also both do not have physical temples. There's not a physical tabernacle or temple or sanctuary. In the Garden of Heaven, John tells us in chapter one, he says, I didn't see a temple because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You see that? And so it's weird because in... This future garden, there's a temple, but there's not a temple. There's not a physical temple, and yet there's a temple. You say, well, what about in the Garden of Eden? Ah, yes, actually, there isn't a physical temple, and yet there's a temple. See, if you lived in ancient Israel, one of the mo- most important places was the temple or the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a sacred tent that would eventually become a temple. And this is where the heavenly presence of Israel's God lived on earth. And the temple had an important design to, just to show you sort of how special it was. And there were people that worked in the temple, they were called priests. And in this temple, there was one thing that was actually missing. If you remember, Pastor Phil, bringing this up when we talked about the tabernacle, which is when you got to the Holy of Holies and you walked into the space where God's presence on earth dwelled, what you did not see was an image of God. There was no graven image. There was no wooden image carved out. And that would have been the very first thing that people of antiquity would have noticed something's wrong. Where is the image of their God, right? And there's a few reasons for this, of why this happened. But one reason is this is that God had already created something in his image humans. If you remember back in the garden, God created mankind in his image. And in fact, the temple pointed back to Eden. And this is why in the temple, you found that many of the decor uh, of the furnishings, the walls, the veil were sort of gardenesque right. in their look right. Right. in how they were crafted. Right. And so there is a parallel between Eden and the temple. In fact, Eden was a type, a type of temple. If you look on the screen, you'll see this, that, that, that really what they are, they're kind of put together and one sort of points to the other and the other points to each other because Eden, the garden, was a type of temple. Wow. Mm. Let me just run through how a few of these, we don't have time for all of them, but let me just give you a couple of ways that the garden of Eden was a type of temple. You guys ready? Yeah. Number one, Adam is depicted as a priest with respect to his task, namely to work and to keep the garden. All right? Right. Number two, just as the temple was a place of God's unique presence experienced by the priest, it was a place of God's unique presence experienced by Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. Number three, just as the entrance to Israel's temple was faced to the east, so the entrance of Eden was faced to the east. Just as the temple had this sort of tripartite structure of these circles of of holiness, right? So if you remember in the temple, there was the Holy of Holies, there was the holy place, and then there was the courtyard, right? Well, so the Garden of Eden is the same. There's Eden, and then there's the garden, and then there's the outer world, and the fifth one I'll show you is just as the climax and purpose of creation was rest, so the construction of the tabernacle culminates with rest. In other words, Eden was a type of temple. Theologian G.K. Bale puts it this way. The Garden of Eden had essential similarities with Israel's temple, which shows that Israel's temple was a development of the implicit sanctuary in Genesis 2. The Eden temple served as an earthly model of God's temple in heaven, which would eventually encompass also the whole earth. So in this old creation then, this old creation then of this Garden of Eden, it was amazing, It was pristine. This was paradise, absolute paradise. All of their needs were met. Think about it. There was no crime and no injustice, no disease, no sickness. They had an amazing relationship with God that that, that talks about God walking in the cool of the garden with them. They didn't have to worry about comparing themselves to one another or insecurities or stress or anxiety. It was paradise. But it was not perfection. Something better was coming. Something better was coming. A better creation, not yet. Number two, a better creation, not yet. See, ancient cultures and philosophies and religions all believed that, that history was sort of uh, in a cycle, Ancient philosophies, religion, cultures believed that history was a cycle, that it wasn't actually going anywhere, right? Right. But Robert Nisbet years ago wrote a book called The History of the Idea of Progress. And he and many other historians will tell you that this idea of progress, of of history actually going somewhere and progressing to something good, Right. right? To someplace good, going somewhere towards hope right? That that idea entered in to humanity with the Bible, with the Bible. And so if you're a modern person, which I assume you are, you probably believe in historical progress, right? And therefore you ought to want to discover where the origin of that idea that you have came from and where it actually came from, historians will show you, is from scripture, Now, the prophet Isaiah is hearing from God, who is speaking of this progressed future. And look at what he says in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 7. He says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. I will create a new heaven and a new earth. In other words, there is a new creation, a second creation. It's not just about restoring what is currently here, but it's about creating something new and better. See, at this moment that we're in right now, the earth is cut off from full life of heaven. And, and, and I don't think we have to look very far to know that's true, right? Because we can see it in, you know, rampant greed, selfishness, inequality, crime, right? Yeah. But to use a biblical metaphor, creation groans like a woman in childbirth, It's groaning like a woman in childbirth. In other words, it's groaning because something new is coming. And and we see hints of it now and then, right? Right? Just like you do in pregnancy where, you know, maybe a little foot pokes out or whatever, right? Because one day it will be pushed forth into life and like a new baby emerging out of the womb. I remember when, uh, <laughs> I remember when Becca and I went, uh, she was pregnant with Olivia, which is our oldest, and so that was our first child. And uh, she went in for her first sonogram appointment, and so we're both there, and we're excited, you know, we can't wait or whatever, and so we're waiting in the waiting room, and this, uh, I, this uh, technician comes in, and she, seriously, she looks at me, and she says, I think I'm just going to have the mother come in. I said, Jesus, (laughs) ooh, Satan tempted me today. So so Becca was like, you know, okay. And so she goes in and she's in this room there by herself while me, first time dad, is in the waiting room. And if anybody knows me, y'all know I'm putting up with that so I asked for a manager I said who's in charge and I gave this whole spiel of how like dads aren't wanting to be with kids these days and they leave and how you going to deny a dad that wants to stay with this kid you know I mean I gave the whole thing so Becca's lying there jelly on her belly you know and the phone rings in the room she says and the technician says sorry give me a minute she goes and answers the phone she goes "Uh uh-huh uh-huh okay Hangs up the phone, and she goes back, and Becca goes, that was my husband, wasn't it? (laughs) She said, yeah. He's coming in, isn't he? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Like an emerging baby from the womb. Wow. Eden was always meant to point to something greater. Author Nancy Guthrie puts it this way, our future hope is not merely a restoration of Eden. Notice that. It's not just a restoration of Eden. As good as Eden was, it was not yet as glorious as the realm of God intends to share with his people forever. And Adam and Eve were not yet all God intends his people to be. The story of redemptive history has always been heading towards glory. This was the case even in the beginning There was an eschatology, which means like end time, right? Even in Eden. There was an eschatology even in Eden. Wow. And so the new creation won't just be restored, a restored Eden, but it will be something better than Eden. Better. Let let, let me show you. Let me show you, right? Look at this. Revelation 22. Let's, Let's go through this again. It says, then the angel of the Lord, remember that angel, that's going to be important in a minute, showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from where? From the throne of God and of the Lamb. So already this river is better than the river in Eden, right? And down the middle of the great city on each side of the river stood the tree of life. On each side of the river. What does that mean? It means this, in Eden, there was one tree. In this new garden, the tree of life will be an orchard. Yeah, yeah. Do you see that? Wow. Even better. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Wow. Yielding its fruit every month. Do you see that? It's ongoing. The leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. Do you see that? Uh-huh. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Look at this. There will be no more night. In the Garden of Eden, there was night. There was day, there was night, right? And here, there'll be no more night. And there won't be a need for a lamp or even for the sun. Why? Because the Lord God will give them light. Oh, it's better. It's a better type of light. Do you, do you see that? It's a better type of light. And then look, it says, and they will reign forever and ever. This isn't a temporary reign. This isn't a rain that will one day be interrupted. There will be no other serpent or beast to come and disturb this rain. It will be forever and ever. Verse 21. Then I saw a new heaven. There it is again. Right? Just like Isaiah said. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw this holy city of Jerusalem come down out of heaven. I saw this holy city. I saw this holy rural country farmhouse. Is that what it says? No, no? doesn't say, it. oh. No. I saw the holy suburb. No. Come on. Come on. Did, did it say that? No. no, are you sure? I'm sure. Okay. I saw a holy, what? City. city. A holy city. Interesting. Yeah. A city. Yeah, preach. Mm-hmm. Why not a rural country farmhouse? Wouldn't that be nice? A beautiful suburb? I mean, isn't that kind of like, you know, the dream? But he says, a city. A city. It's almost like, do you remember watching the movie Wizard of Oz? How many of you ever watched Wizard of Oz? Two of you? Can we stop and play the movie right now? This is, two of you? Okay, how many really have watched Wizard of Oz? Thank you, my. I got scarred for a minute. I said, you know. And so, you know, the Wizard of Oz, you know, so you have the cowardly lion, and you have the scarecrow, and you have the tin man, right? And they finally come out of the haunted woods. Remember that part? Remember that? And it sings that song, you know, you're out of the woods, you're out of the dark, you're out of the night, remember that? Walk into the sun, walk into the light, woo right? And they're like, you know, going to the emerald city, this grand and glorious city. Now, of course, if you read the books, you know, it wasn't actually emerald. The, the wizard there made everybody wear emerald-colored glasses, and so it looked emerald, but it wasn't really emerald, and points out to the fact that everything was fake. But anyway, <laughs> I'll digress. But the point is, is that, you know, the, the, this idealistic thing of this, this futuristic thing of this great city, right? Of this city city. Now, wait a minute. I thought you said it was a garden. Now, which is it? Is it a city or is it a garden? Well, actually, it's a garden city, you see. You guys are smart. You're, cute. You're catching up. Right? Now, a garden city is better than a garden. Well, what do you mean? Well, how does that make sense? Well, What makes a city a city is the density of people. Right now, uh, the elders were reading this book, this big, thick book that Pastor Phil gave us. (laughs) 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 And I'm highlighting, I'm taking my time in this thing, you know. And uh, it's written by Tim Keller, and what's interesting is he talks about this. He says this: "Since people are made in God's image, cities, quite literally, have more of the image of God per square inch than any other place on Earth." <laughs> See, it's better. It's better more of God's image per square inch than any other place on earth. It's fascinating because love love must be expressed between persons, and the more dense the population, the more wonderful the love, you see. Now, for those of you who are like, listen, uh, I'm not about people. Um, you know, that whole hospitality thing and community thing, like that, right? I'm trying, Pastor Roger, but you know, whew, that's a hard one for me. Uh, So I don't know if the idea of a city really kind of matches my idea of paradise. Well, if it was this kind of city. See, this kind of city. See, in John's account of this garden city, Humanity wasn't represented by a couple, but John describes seeing all nations there working to cultivate this garden city as Adam and Eve did in Genesis. For John, the fulfillment of God's purpose through Jesus would result in this uh, better experience of humans to their rightful place that God wanted them to be as co-rulers of God's world ready to work with and care and take this second creation to uncharted territories. Mm. See? Right. But, but what else makes this garden city better? Well, Look at this, verse three, it says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Look at this, he will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Thank you, God. See, in this second creation, John depicts the reunion of heaven and earth as, as, as this new Jerusalem, unlike the old Jerusalem that was corrupt. And dishonored by most of Israel's kings, the new Jerusalem would be ruled by a divine king, not ruled of Adam's of old, but by the final Adam. This new city would be built by God, not by the hands of man. Now, if you notice, bring that passage back up for me, would you? Because look at this and then those verses. I want you to notice the verbs here, a few verbs. I'm gonna do this again and I want you to catch on and see where you see the verb shift, okay? Y'all, I didn't know we were going to grammar school. Well, just fake it till you make it. Watch this. (laughs) I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, it's God's dwelling dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and their God. You see that? And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older things have passed has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Wait a minute, what? Do you see that? Will, he will, he will, he will, he will. Meaning that it is not yet. This better creation. Is not yet. Mm. I will, I will, I will, right? Yeah. When we're reading this, we could tell it's future. Yeah. But then in verse five, he says, But I am making everything new. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Is it future? Right. Or is it present? Right. Well, see, in Christian sort of verbiage, we use this a lot this idea of now and not yet. Now and not yet. See, there's a better creation, not yet, that is coming, but there is a new creation now. Number three, last point. We'll try to beat the Baptist at the buffet. (laughs) New creation now. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 17 says, Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, how many here are in Christ? On, yes. Man. If anyone is in Christ, Woo! then they might be a new creation. Are you? Oh, it doesn't say that? Oh. When they are perfect, they'll be a new creation. Oh, it doesn't say that? Oh. When they stop sinning? When they, don't, when they don't struggle anymore? No, it doesn't say that? When they got their lives cleaned up? It do not say that? when they try really, really, really hard? Are you sure it doesn't say that? Are you sure it doesn't say that? Because some of us act like that's what it says. But what my Bible says is something very different. It doesn't say if you try really hard and if you're really good and if, if you do enough things and if you put enough effort and if you help enough people across the road and if you attend enough services. And it, it doesn't say any of that. It doesn't say if you're holy enough or righteous enough or good enough or sinless enough. It doesn't say any of that. But it says if anybody, if anybody, if anybody is in Christ, what? He is, he is, is, is right now a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new will come. Has come. Wow. Has come. Has come. Has come. Again, going back to the illustration of, you know, being pregnant, um, which, whew, that was hard for me, let me tell you. Um, And... (laughs) And, you know, and so, and so what happens is, you know, you, I, I, as I was watching Becca, you know, what you see the little hand get pressed against the belly and, you know, the foot and everything. And, 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 and what do you know? Well, you know there, there's a baby in there, right? And, and then what happens, you know, eventually she'll say something like, whew, you know, I'm tired and man, it's this baby. The baby starts getting blamed for stuff, right? <laughs> I'm tired, it's this baby. Oh, my back hurts, it's the baby. You know, oh, the baby's kicking, it's the baby. I'm eating like my third plate of food. I'm like, hey, it's the baby, you know? <laughs> Baby gets blame. But yet what we say is, well, when will the baby come? Mm. Do, do you see that? Yeah. So we all recognize that there is this certain language that we use for when the birth happens, right? And so we'll say, no, the baby hasn't come yet. Right. Come on. Not yet in a couple months or a couple weeks. It hasn't come yet. Then we talk like that, but the reality is the baby's there. Yeah. Yeah. See? Now and not yet. You, you see. You see, in other words, the better creation is not yet, but that not yet creation you partake in now. You partake in now. Remember when John wrote the book and he wrote it to a people who were facing suffering? Remember that? Persecution, fear, and anxiety. Because the, the, the real question is, af, after you listen to all this and you're like, okay, that's great, but what difference does that make for me? Oh, what difference does it make for me? Well, remember, he wrote this to a people, to a people that, that, that were facing difficulties and hardships. And, and my friends, I can guarantee one thing that everybody here can relate to is facing difficulty yeah. Yeah. and hardships. Yeah. Right, and you need a faith that doesn't just give you wishful thinking. Right. Wow. You also need a faith that doesn't give you a false sense of reality. Right, so not wishful thinking. Wow. Right, but but also not a false sense of reality, as if like you're not going to face loss and you're not going to face pain and you're not going to face evil or evil isn't real. You don't need that kind of a faith. You need a faith that is transcendent enough so you can endure any circumstance wow. you face, yeah. but realistic enough yeah. to make you know that it's not like you won't have to endure. Wow. Good. Do you see that? Yeah. It, it, you need a faith that is realistic enough to, to ensure you, to save you from the utter destruction and depression that can come when you think that this world and your life will be nothing but paradise. Because if that's what you think, then when trouble comes, when problems hit, when suffering is at your door, it will utterly destroy you. It will destroy you. Because what we need, what the world needs, is hope. But not just like hope, but hope assured, hope guaranteed, right? That is the story that you need, Hmm. that I need, that your neighbors need, that your family needs, that your coworkers need, that the boss that gets on your nerves need. You you know what I'm saying? My boss is in the room, so I can't say nothing, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. staff meeting after church. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But, but check this out. I mean, you know, the, the reality is we need this type of hope. This type of hope that we can, that, that's tangible, that we can sink our teeth in. You see? That type of a hope. Wow. That's what we need to get through. God, yeah. Dr. Howard Truman gave a lecture And this is what he said. He said, what invoked so much joy and suffering, triumph and pain, endurance and darkness, and a hope that the environment could not crush? It was a sung faith. It was a sung faith. This was not a pie in the sky hope. These truths did not make slaves docile, but they were rooted in a dual reality. One in which suffering was felt for what it was. And another in which God's promises gave life and purpose even in bondage. When you take time to read some of the old Negro spirituals, and this is exactly what he's talking about, is you'll see that these are filled with hope. Yeah. Hope. Jesus. How they endured. Jesus, Jesus. Hope. And we see this time and time again in various Christian communities throughout history. We even read about it with Paul and Silas when they were in prison singing hope. See, and what you learn from the historians as you read them is one of the reasons Christianity had so much credibility... And why it succeeded as it did was because Christians were able to handle death and suffering and difficulty in ways that their neighbors just couldn't understand. Yeah. It gave them enormous credibility. Yes, when they were persecuted, when they were thrown in the lions, they sung hymns of hope. Yes, when plagues came and everybody else were running out of the city, they stayed even though there was contamination, even though they knew that they could get the plagues and many did and many died willingly. Wow. You see, they stayed in there and they took care of the sick. Jesus, Jesus. And so the people looked around and said, how in the world are these people able to handle this kind of difficulty, this kind of suffering? Because they had a real hope. And so can you. So can you. In um, like 1940, 1950s, if you were to go into a library and you were to look for the fantasy section, you know what you'd find? Nothing. There was no fantasy section, right? They had fiction, nonfiction, travel, so on and so forth, but, but they had nothing in fantasy, you see. And today, if you walk into any bookstore here in the Western world, fantasy is one of the biggest literature areas in the library. How did that happen? Why is that? I mean, what's fantasy? Well, the one man that a lot of people would say probably almost single-handedly created that part of your library was J.R.R. Tolkien. And Tolkien has a very famous essay in which he tries to explain why modern humanity, why modern people, right, um, are attracted to these ideas of fantasy, why they have such an appetite for fantasy literature. And he says that they all have this in common. And, and, and this, he points out five things one, they step out of time. Two, escape death, three, have a loving relationship that doesn't end, right, without parting, four, communication with non-human beings, and five, triumph over evil. All fantasy will have that,
1: wow.
0: right? These five things. And we're attracted to those things. Why? Well, Tolkien, who, who is a Christian, says, well, it's because we have a memory trace deep in our souls, Right? That, that somewhere in our souls, whether you're a Christian or not, that it doesn't matter. You know somewhere in your soul, that's how things should be. That's why you weep when somebody passes. Because you know that that's not how it should be. That, that There's something about eternity that attracts you. That as a human, you want, you desire, you see. That we were all made for this. And, and that is fantasyful thinking. And it was until Jesus came. See, remember with Eden, what happened in the garden is of course Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit wanting to be their own gods and wanting to uh, cut corners and gain um, wisdom and knowledge by their own means instead of uh, in relational walking with the Lord and gaining it that way. And so, what happens is they eat of the fruit and eventually they get cast out of the garden. Remember that? And when they get cast out, uh, these angels with flaming swords were put at the entrance of the garden. Remember that? These flaming swords were put at the entrance of the garden. And the only way for Adam to get back to that type of reality, the only way for Adam to get that, to, for humanity to get back to that kind of a reality is that somehow Adam had to go under the sword. He, he, had, he had to be slayed by the blade, if you will. Do, do you see that? He, he had to face the flaming sword of death. And he couldn't. But what the first Adam failed to do, the second Adam completed. And he faced the blade. The Canaan king hung on a hill called Golgotha, right? And there, the blade came down. And what first Adam brought us access denied, the last Adam brings us access granted. And now the things that appear to be fantasy will be reality, you see. Yeah. And, and look, it's all there. Remember the five things, the five things, right? What were they again? Let's go over there. Step outside of time, escape death, have loving relationships that never end, communication with non-beings, triumph over evil. It's all there. Look, look when, you, when you read Revelation, it says it's there, right? He's talking to angels, non-human beings, right? The angel shows them a river of life, life never-ending, there it is, right? L- love without parting. There's no tears. There's no death. There's no step, su- suffering. Stepping out time, out of time. Uh, uh, escaping death. It's all there. Good, triumph over evil. It- it's all there. Everything that's somewhere deep inside. Somehow we can't explain it. Nobody gets this idea that, the, that, that humans need this and want this and desire this. Why? Because it points to a reality that will be. A guaranteed hope. And you and I are unavoidably and irreducibly hope-based creatures. We are controlled not by how we live now, but why, what we think will happen later. You know that? Yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's true. Right. How you behave now always will determine what you think will happen next right? And Christian hope has to do with an ultimate future. And watch this, to the degree you believe in the truth of the new creation is to the degree that you will be stirred to tell the story. See, to the degree that you believe in this thing that, that God is promising, in this thing, the fact that you are entering in right now, the, the, the fact that God looks at you and says, You are a new creation. He, 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 he legalistically proclaims that, legally saying, Bam, you are, it. you are a new creation. You see? You are now justified in Him. Justified, just as if I never sinned. Justified you are now justified in him. You are a new creation. And, and to the degree that you believe and you know this to be true, it's to the degree that you won't be able to contain it. We put, we put those little invitation on, on, on all of your chairs. Why? Because to the degree that you believe this, it's to the degree that you'll want to go and run and tell somebody and share somebody and invite somebody. Yes. You, you know what I'm saying? You do that with anything that, 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 that you enjoy. Anything that's great. Anything that's awesome. Oh, did you see this? That was so awesome. You should go. Oh, did you experience that? You should need to be there next time. You know what I'm saying? Right? Great restaurant. Amazing food. Ooh, you got to check this out. You, you, you know what I mean? Got to check it out. This is awesome. It tastes good. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. When you do that. we need a living hope that gets us through life and endures suffering. A living hope that enables us to both be able to have sorrow, not to deny your sorrow, but to have it, but also have joy. Our living hope is an inheritance achieved by Jesus Christ. Revelation is a kind of mixture of poetry and history, and, and it's filled with sort of these dizzying sort of images. For example, we, we, we have a lion who, who's, on a, who, who's a lamb that's on a throne. He, he's a lion, right? And he says, come, come, I want to show you the lion. I want, let me show you the lion. And he pulls back the curtain, and we see a slaughtered lamb. On a throne. And we have a city coming down, city in a wedding dress. A city in a wedding dress. What is that? Well, this is how apocalyptic language works. It's these symbols that are kind of juxtaposed in a way of getting across the richness and the sort of multi dimensional reality of the hope that we have, that we've been given access. Because notice, this garden city comes down to us. That's always been the story. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. God came down. He initiated. He looked. He searched. He says, I'm coming to you. And what does John see? A city coming down. God's saying, listen, it's not about your effort to get to me. You can rest because I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. The old creation then, a better creation not yet, and a new creation now. And this is why we can sing the hymn now. This is why we can join the angel chorus now. Now. This is why we can join the saints now and sing now because it's a sure thing. And so the next time that you are faced with depression, anxiety, loneliness, frustration, would you turn to Revelation 21 and 22 and be reminded, let your hope be stirred.
1: I don't know, um, team in the back, if you could put up Pastor Roger's final, final slide before we pray I think it was the final slide I know I'll probably have the team in the back thank you so much if you could just kind of internalize that says, to the degree you believe in the truth of the new creation is to the degree you'll be stirred to tell the story I also want to say to the degree that you believe in the story of the new creation is the degree in which how is it going to impact your life right now right, how you're living right now, right, how, how you are, how are you, how you are walking right now, what you are prioritizing right now, will determine, right, will determine, like, to the degree at which you believe this is true, or if you find yourself in deep darkness right now, deep suffering right now, if you find yourself right now experiencing deep pain the antidote for the right now pain is the future hope of jesus christ it's the future because you know what like there's not right now because there is sin right now because there is remaining flesh right now there's going to be pain and suffering right now but to the degree in which you trust that jesus is making all things new will give you that endurance for right now so heavenly father i just thank you I thank you for this entire series in which we talked about the beginning and the end. I thank you, Lord God, that we have looked at man created in the garden, Adam, and we have looked at Jesus Christ, God, the God-man. I thank you that you have come, that you have put on flesh, that you walked this earth, and that you succeeded everywhere we fail. I thank you that you have secured what we lost and today I thank you that you not only secure what we lost but you're making it new you're making it greater and I pray that everyone in this room whether they find themselves in a difficult moment whether they find themselves in a time of suffering and pain or whether they find themselves even struggling to be passionate, whether they find their walk in Jesus struggling, where they find themselves constantly failing and falling. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room, wherever they find themselves, Lord God, that the remedy, Lord God, would be to believe that there is a future hope, that there is a greater glory that has been secured for us by our King. May we submit under that truth. May we live in that truth. May we grasp that truth, trust that truth, believe that truth, above all else. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a church, a new creation church. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the strength through your Holy Spirit to help us to walk this life out in love and in hope of a future glory. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray you'd bless everyone in this building. As we leave this place, may we not leave your presence, God. I pray, Lord God, that we would walk out of here in hope and we trust and believe and we declare these things in Christ's name we pray amen and amen God bless you inspired church we'll see you next night God bless
0: again thank you
1: so much for tuning in today our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's Word
0: and live for him before you go would you consider giving a gift today by faith We are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspiredchurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.